All right, so let's get to the Kodai Senga game, the highly anticipated major league debut of Kodai Senga. I remember watching his first spring training game. And for anyone who watched it, he put the, the first three guys on base. He loaded the bases right out of the gate and fought through it against the St. Louis Cardinals. And I remember even saying on the Rico whenever we did it, hey, that was pretty impressive. Who knew he was going to do it again? The Mets scored two runs in the first inning on that weird play. Jeff McNeil with the little raw, little ground ball, the throw to first base. Wild allows a second run to score. Mets take an early 2-0 lead. Great. Kind of take the pressure off of Kodai Senga. Gives up the leadoff hit to Luis Arise. Everyone has. Throws a wild pitch. Gives up an RBI double to Jorge Soler. Walks Jazz Chisholm. Walks Havagol Garcia. So he puts not the first three guys on base. The first four guys on base. Hello there. And then we see Kodai Senga go to work. The ghost fork ball was working. He strikes out Gurriel where Gurriel loses his bat. He strikes at Jesus Sanchez and then gets lucky because John Birdie get a line drive, but the Mets positioned it perfectly right at Starling Marte. I'm thinking, okay, deep breath from Kodai. Lead off walk to start the second. And from that moment on, the leadoff walk in the second inning, we saw everything we dreamt of with Kodai Senga. He gets the next two guys out, including a rise to ground into a double play, strikes out two guys in the third inning, I think both with the ghost fork. One, two, three, fourth, gets the first two outs in the fifth, strikes out Jorge Soler, and then strikes out the first batter in the sixth inning before Buck pulls him at 89 pitches, which I got no problem with. Remember, he threw 36 pitches in that first inning. Now, ironically, so did Taylor Rogers, Trevor Rogers, but still, it was a very long first inning. Thank you, pitch clock. But Kodai Senga, recovering from the first four guys getting on base, he ends up giving up one run in five and a third innings. He ends up putting up six guys on base, so less than Peterson and McGill, but very different than those guys because once Senga settled down, and who knows what it was, the nerves of his first major league game, uh, whatever it was. Once he relaxed, we got to see what we were excited about with this guy. He looked great to me, very successful major league debut for Kodai Senga. Yeah, and I, th- I think the the nerves were built because that first inning, that first half inning was so long with Trevor Rogers just being not being able to find the strike zone too. And you could see Senga just like pacing back and forth. Yeah. Like the anticipation was there. So I was a little nervous. I, I was I was very scared for that first half inning with Senga. Going like, what did we just do? Um, <laughs> but as soon as he struck out, got the three outs in a row to end in the first inning, he settled down, and you you just like, oh, my goodness, we have maybe one of the best pitchers in the MLB right now, if this guy is as good as he can be. Long term, I was never going to be concerned, even if it was a disaster. So before the game started, I was looking back at some of the past major league debuts of Japanese imports. Hideo Nomo, who was – you know, burst onto the scene in 1995, walked 13 guys in his first 13 innings. True story. So he didn't get off to a great start in the major leagues. Now, some guys did. Yu Darvish's first performance was very similar to Senga's. Five innings, one run. Masato Yoshi, for us, pitched seven scoreless innings. I was more concerned, where are they going to go to get through this game? Like, Kodak Senga has a horrible major league debut. It is not the end of the world as much as we may over-exaggerate it. Okay, there'll be a second major league game, and hopefully he relaxes and he bounces back. I was more thinking, okay, he's thrown 30-plus pitches 
this game could be busted open. Who's their long man? Like, is Steven Nagosik going to come in and pitch three innings? Is Tommy Hunter going to come in and pitch three innings? And not only would it make this game difficult to win, but it puts a lot of pressure on Carlos Carrasco Monday, Max Scherzer on Tuesday, David Peterson Wednesday, Tyler McGill Thursday. The Mets don't have an off day, which I've loved. I've loved this quirk that the Mets are basically playing every single day. But that was my concern, like the short term of how they're going to get through today, how they're going to get through the next week. But that was great, especially him throwing the ghost for it, because there was concern that if it's causing finger discomfort, is he going to shelve it? Well, if he shelves it, who is he? He's a fastball slider guy. Well, how good is he? We saw his put away pitch today. We saw the ghost fork ball and it was tremendous. Uh, that was a great debut. It was encouraging. The Met offense was blah. They got those two runs early. Didn't do anything until the fifth inning. When they finally did it, it was Tommy Pham hitting it. <laughs> Tommy Pham hitting a two-run home run. Tommy Pham driving in that RBI double, even though it was really a Jazz Chisholm screw-up. Basically, the offense on Sunday was the Tommy Pham show. So you could take your spring training. You could take those crappy numbers. You could take his 0-for-2 on Friday. And at least for one day, Pete because it probably won't last. But for one day, we could all throw it out the window. Tommy Pham, offensive hero. Tommy Pham has arrived. And it's amazing that they figured that out, Brandon. They gave, they gave Marte the day off yesterday. They gave Nimmo the day off today, which allowed Pham to have that center field uh, role and lead off the game. And it was, listen, it's going to be interesting to see how they work this out. But we're, we're going to get this to, to this a little bit. The kids playing in the minors are going to really make us look at these guys like Pham, like Vogelback, like some of these other players. There's going to be a fire that's going to be lit under these guys if they want to stay in the major leagues. All right, let's address it because that's the other big story coming out of these four games. Eduardo Escobar did not hit. He's not great defensively. He did not have a good spring training. And he also is coming off a year last year in which he was did nothing April, May, June, July, and most of August. He had a huge September he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think he salvaged his overall numbers. And like I mentioned before, he was very important to the Mets' success in September. They would have collapsed without him. Now, you could argue they collapsed anyway. He salvaged the collapse, specifically that Marlin game, the final game they played before they went to Atlanta. But the pressure's on. Pete, you're right. And the pressure's on for a very good reason. Brett Beatty is ready to play at the major league level. I know that. You know that. I think everybody knows that except for the one guy who counts, Billy Eplett, who gave us this crap about a week ago. Well, Nolan Arenado, well, Rafael Devers, all these excuses for why Beatty isn't here. Well, two things could happen that are going to cause Billy Epler to have to say, well, maybe I made a mistake. Escobar's failures and Beatty raking. Brett Beatty has the huge Saturday, hits the grand slam, drives in five runs, Alvarez had a good day, too. So did Vientos. I, what I'm curious about, and I don't know the answer. Now, we could all give our opinions, which is right now. That would be our opinions. But how much time are you going to give Beatty to tear it up and Escobar to struggle before you do something? Because the mistake is to wait to lose. Don't wait to lose. If the Mets are winning games, I don't want to hear this attitude of, well, we're winning. Why mess around? No, 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 no. That's when you want to call up a Brett Beatty or a Mark Fiantos. You don't want to wait until you've lost six out of eight. You're not scoring any runs. So 
what I don't know and none of us know, because Billy Epler will never answer it, is what are you waiting for? For me and you and everybody listening, I'm sure if I put a poll out there, they would say, call up Beatty right now, move Escobar to the bench. And we can go back to a plan we talked about a week or two ago, which is Beatty's your third baseman against lefties and righties, and Escobar's your right-handed DH. And you call it a day. And that's what you do. Are they ready to do that? Are they willing to do that? And when are they going to be willing to do that? Because that's the real question. You know, how long are you going to wait and have Eduardo Escobar underperform? And I, I don't think he's going to be awful. Like, I think Escobar is going to hit. But that's not the point. The Beatty's your future. And if Beatty's ready, call him up now. And the same goes with Vientos. I, I don't know. I, I, I'd love to sit here and guess, but how could we figure it out when Billy Epler's given this BS about, well, he needs more games. They need to be seasoned. He's ready. They're both ready. Well, and here's the thing, though, is you can even see the Escobar's, it's already getting to him. Like, I don't know what, I, I'm not sure if the, him shaving had something to do with him trying to get better luck. <laughs> into the, because, I mean, I seriously, it, it's stupid idiosyncrasies that maybe these guys have superstitions or whatever. But you could see it. He struck out again today, and he I could just see his emotion. I know he's a great clubhouse guy. And that's the first thing that's going to hurt is because how are you supposed to cl- affect the clubhouse? If he is so good in there, you want him around. But if it's going to impact how the team is playing, if you're going to take away someone that's so good at Brett Beatty, who we know is going to be a hitter, and the, the team is going to feed off of his energy – I, what are you supposed to do? But at some point in time, you have to make the big boy decision and push at least Escobar to the bench. Well, yeah, Escobar, Pete, can have a very valuable role on this team without being the starting third baseman. He can be that super utility guy. He can play second base. You can stick him in the outfield. We know he's a better right-hand hitter. That's at least what his history last year showed. And that's the Met weakness. Despite Tommy Pham's really good Sunday Escobar would probably be your preferred option to DH against left-handed pitching. So I'm not a believer that Beatty coming up here and becoming the third baseman should be the end of Eduardo Escobar. Uh, I was giving this a little bit of thought because I know there's roster gymnastics that are involved in this. We went through it the entire spring training. And that is, if you're not carrying an extra bat, who's off this team? Is it Tim LaCastro? Do you just view that? stolen base threat off the bench as too much of a luxury. The other thought, the other thought, and I'm just throwing it out there. We're thinking out loud, everybody. Don't attack me here. If somebody in an emergency can play shortstop, Luis Guillerme has another option where you can send him down. Because the value in Guillerme is obviously his great defense. We all understand that. But he's also the only guy capable of playing shortstop as a backup. If he goes down for Beatty, could Brett Beatty play a few innings at shortstop? Could Eduardo Escobar play a few innings at shortstop? Could Jeff McNeil play a few innings at shortstop? Trust me, no is the answer. (laughs) I know that. I think if Lindor ever had an injury, you would very quickly call up Guillerme and get a backup up here. But that's one option because for the most part, Pete, Lindor's playing every day, every single day. I don't know if you would ever feel comfortable for a few innings or even a game having Escobar play short or McNeil play short or Beatty play short. But it does, if you want LeCastro up here and you want to get Beatty in a roll up here, 
that's one thing you could think about. Luis Guillerme does have options to be sent down to AAA. And, and listen, I made a point early on in the offseason saying that maybe they could actually trade Guillerme. I know that you hate that idea. That's ridiculous. I, I, I get that. But that's the problem that the Mets actually have right now is they have a lot of major league ready players and they don't have enough roster spots. Whereas I look around the MLB and I see teams that are desperate for for bench spots, desperate for for starting position players. The Mets have a surplus in the bullpen even. But they're going to need all those guys. Guys are going to get hurt. So I wouldn't have the confidence to trade. I'd rather store them in AAA and have guys ready to contribute when I need them. The one thing I don't want from Epler is don't make the move to Beatty and Vientos or Vientos when you're losing games. Right now, if you believe they – and they're not going to do it after four games. I fully understand that. I think at the minimum, barring injury, we're talking May. It's not happening in April. Like, he would look like such a schmuck to say he needs more seasoning and then five days later recall him unless there's an injury. If there's an injury, that's the game changer. Well, we got three more games coming up against the Brewers. Uh, we're going to see another lefty in this series. Wade Miley is going to make his first start of the year coming up on Tuesday. So we'll see another example of how Buck handles facing left-handed pitching. A big challenge on Wednesday against Corbin Burns, three games against the Brewers. And then the home opener at City Field on Thursday against the Miami Marlins. So very exciting stuff. Obviously, we appreciate you reaching out. I've gotten a bunch of emails. We'll do more emails on the next Rico. Unfortunately, when you pull over on the side of the road to do a Rico, you can't have it go on forever because at some point I got to start driving again to go home. But do email. We will do uh, uh, read a lot of these emails on the pod coming up shortly. The Rico B at gmail.com. We'll have another podcast right after Wednesday's game, or at least at some point after Wednesday's game to recap the Milwaukee series. And maybe we'll give you a bonus Rico before that. You never know when we're feel up for it, but we appreciate you listening and downloading Rico. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 